Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, guys. Hey, welcome to City Church. How you doing? January 2nd, you made it. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to be gathering with you today. And it's been a really weird entrance into 22, right? Um, It's been a heavy week for a lot of us. Uh, Maybe you know people who have been directly affected or yourselves have been affected and I just want you to know uh, we're not just messy around here. We don't just leave stuff all over our lobby when you walk in. All the stuff that you saw on your way in, the cases of water and the blankets and all the food, those are all resources we're distributing. Um, And we've just made our building and our our staff and uh, this space available to serve our city as a resource distribution place. And so if you know anyone uh, that's going to be in need of just some very essential practical resources on the front end, then all of that is available. You can either get the word out, you can take it to them. Uh, we got lots of friends that are now returning to their homes, uh, but they don't have heat, they don't have water, and so they've got to bring in water. Um, and so just know that all of those resources are available. By the way, huge shout out to the Longmont and Sa- I'm sorry, I said that backwards, to the Sands Club in Longmont, a little dyslexic sometimes, to the Sands Club in Longmont who donated all of that to, uh, uh, for relief efforts. Put our hands together for just the generosity of so many coming together. Uh, you can watch our emails and our social media platforms for all of the, the updates of how we're just trying to engage and serve. Uh, many people are asking like, hey, what, what's needed? How can we help? And by the way, I'm so impressed and just blown away by the generosity of our church, even as so many people are still coming back in from the holidays and a lot of people aren't even back yet. Um, but so many people are saying, hey, how can we help? How can we engage? Um, and I just want you to know there's tons of giant question marks because people just don't know. We also don't know where everyone is. 30,000 people were, were dispersed into all kinds of areas, and so even communication to them is challenging. And so uh, my, myself and 80 plus other church leaders gathered on Friday, and there's tons of effort happening towards those initiatives. And as soon as we know things, we're going to let you know. But we're also working with a disaster relief organization called Serve 68, and they're awesome and crushing it. They're experienced in this, and so they are showing up and really helping us be a catalyst. And so, again, any needs that you might have, you can use that connection card to let us know uh, just ways that we can serve you and help you get connected. Um, Before we get into our our new series that we're kicking off January 2nd, um, I just wanted to celebrate, if if you're new to City Church or new-ish and you haven't been around, we've been in this thing called the Here for Good campaign that we started back in September, Um, and that is an effort toward permanence for City Church. City Church is a little over two years old, uh, we planted in 2019, launched, then COVID hit, and that was a weird year. And then we kind of relaunched again in January. And so we're coming into the new year. We're excited and we're working toward owning the property that we have right now. So we've been renting this since uh, we launched and we're working toward owning it um, and toward permanence in our city. We don't want to just be a church in and for the city. We have a desire to be a church here for good. And so as of today, we've had over $407,000 committed to the Here for Good campaign. Can you put your hands together for the radical generosity? So we're almost at a, at a half a million dollars toward this initiative. Uh, lots of things are moving. We've got other donors and other churches that are also partnering with us. And so uh, uh, it's still kind of in this, in this big question mark zone of what's happening next. Uh, but the good news is we're not homeless. 
That's good, right? Uh, but if you want to know more, there's booklets in the backs of the seats in front of you, as well as in the lobby. Uh, you saw that giant sign with all the stuff in front of it. I was really encouraged this week that, that we've said that we can be a church in and for the city, regardless of where we find ourselves gathering in a location. So a location doesn't define us, but it can be a tool that we utilize to serve our city. And so I was grateful to see in front of our Here for Good campaign sign out in the lobby, just this massive amount of, of resources that we're serving our city with. And so I just want to celebrate God's incredible generosity in and through our church and so many partners. But here's what's really cool is we committed on the front end because we've always said that every initiative that we're in is not about us. And if you're new, or new to City Church, you're kind of, you know, just, just checking things out for the first time. I'm just catching you up a little bit. So we said on the front end that even in the middle of a building campaign, this is not about us. This is not about us having a building and our comfort and all that stuff. Like we, we can live out of a trailer. We can meet in a high school if we need to. Like that's not the point. The point is that we are here for the city. We are here for good. And so we said on the front end that every dollar that came in between September and December 31st, we were going to give 10% away to missions in Boulder, the West, and the world. And so I have the privilege of standing before you today on January 2nd as we go into this new year, letting you know that we are going to be giving away $7,850 toward Boulder, the West, and the world. Put your hands together for your radical generosity. And so when every penny counts in raising money towards a building, we still want to make sure that generosity is our disposition. God is generous. We want to make sure we reflect that. And so just so you know, that money is going to be going to things like relief efforts here in Boulder County. It's going to be going to church planting and missions and work uh, around sex trafficking in Kenya and India in Thailand. It's going to be going towards some of our very own. Actually, by the way, put your hands together for Fitz, who did the welcome for the first time today. The very first time, uh, Fitz and his wife, Olivia, they work with crew here at CU on campus. And so we're going to be helping them out and supporting them as they are missionaries on campus here at our local university. And so amazing things are happening through the generosity of that 10% being uh, dispersed into Boulder, the West, and the world. And I just want you to know it's not possible without your radical generosity. So way to go, and thank you. Um, by the way, just a real quick kind of additional cool thing we're doing is um, we wanted to take some of the resources that we received from, from the Sam's Club uh, and, and distribute them to our local fire departments. And so we've got seven local fire departments. By the way, can we just put our hands together for our first responders who just crushed it, right? I mean, as I sat by on Thursday night watching out my window wondering what's going to happen and, and what's all happening, there's tons of, you know, my friends and tons of, of our neighbors and tons of people in our city who are, are, you know, in the wind and the crazy out there just serving and just doing an amazing job. And so really grateful. Uh, but, and we want to bless them. So we want to take some of these resources, water, snacks, all that stuff, and we want to deliver to all seven fire stations here along with a handwritten card saying, hey, we're for you, we're praying for you, and we're so grateful for you. And so no strings attached. They're ready to go. If you're interested, we've got seven fire stations to deliver to. We just need you to pick up a case of water and a box of snacks and write a card and go take it there. And so if you want to do that, find me after the service. They're ready to go in the lobby. The address is ready. You can just deliver to one fire station. We'd love the help with that just to go and love on our first responders. All right, you guys good? Lots of info, I know. All right, all right, we're going to reset for a sec because we are going into a new series called Silence and Solitude. And I, I don't know how you enter into a new year. We're kind of in a weird space kind of coming off the weekend and there's a lot going on, but I think today's message is going to speak not only to our lives as we enter this new year, but also into what's going on in our city. And so I don't know your personality type, but for me, like when, when New Year's roll around, I'm a big type A goal setter, eight on the Enneagram. I love to crush things. I love feeling results. It's, you know, like, like I love the little planners. Like I have a planner that like when you set a goal, it tells you to reward yourself. And I'm like, yeah, let's go like crush all the goals. And so I love the, the opportunity of a new year and crushing goals and, and, and just looking at a, a kind of a fresh start. But there's a lot that comes at us in a new year. And I don't know the pressures. Like, honestly, I think we kind of got 
kind of sideswipe coming into the new year, and so it's January 2nd, but because of all the stuff going on in our city, it almost doesn't feel like a new year yet, like you haven't had a lot of time to process what we're going into. Um, and so I just don't want us to miss the moment of a reset, that I think every year the new year does serve as a really healthy and important reflection opportunity um, that, that hopefully is it's rightfully disrupted by the events of this last week, but not in a way that we just kind of roll into 22 as if we didn't transition at all. And so I just want to create space for us to, to clarify our values. And more importantly, if you're a Jesus follower, that we would allow God to speak into our values and our priorities as we go into the new year. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I just want you to know, man, you're loved, safe, and welcome in this community. And uh, through our city groups and through our gatherings and, and the ways that we serve the city, I mean, this is a space for you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. But today, I'd like to present an invitation that I personally have never presented kind of going into a new year. Like last year, we kicked off the year with a habit series, and you know, we kind of crushed it in that, that pressed into my type A personality and turned it into spiritual disciplines, and it was awesome. But today, I want to go in a direction that I think is important for our souls, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, but I think it's going to serve us well. And, and, and that invitation is this, that before you and I pick up anything, before you and I pick up anything. So I don't know kind of where your heart and mind goes. You know, I don't know if you feel the cliche pressure to hit the gym again. You know, <laughs> you got to go pick up some dumbbells or you, you know, you got a goal for the books you're going to read or you got, you know, financial goals. You got, you know, meal plan goals or, you know, there's a job or, you know, promotion opportunity. I don't, I don't know what kind of things just immediately hit your radar if you're just not like that at all and you just kind of let things happen to you. I don't know your personality type. But before the pressure sets in externally, to pick up different things and resolutions and new year, new you, and you know, all those little things that kind of creep in, whether, whether they're on your radar yet or not. Before you and I pick up anything, I want to challenge us today to put everything down. Before we pick up anything this year, it's January 2nd, I want to challenge us all to put everything down. And here's what I mean by that. We see in the life and the rhythms of Jesus this daily regular, intentional practice of silence and solitude, that he would literally set everything aside. He would set everything down. He would pull away. He would be with God, his father, and then he would return back to the life around him, to the crowds, to his disciples, to those in need, to those that were following him, to those that were persecuting him, to those that loved him, to those that hated him. He would return to the massive needs around him and he would return full of focus and power and wisdom and discernment and boldness and compassion and love and surrender. We see all these things in Jesus. And you say, how, how did that always come out of him? And I think it's because he consistently would put everything down, pull away. And then when he came back, he had the wisdom and the clarification, the discernment, the right values, the right perspective to pick up the right things. So when we put everything down, it gives us the ability when we come back to pick up the right things. And again, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, maybe you're type A and you've got all the right things in your hand already and you're spinning the perfect amount of plates and you don't have too many hats, but the odds are that's not the reality. You and I are constantly bombarded, not just with things that are important to us, but also with things urgent around us and the age of distraction and the age of the bent neck iPhone kind of epidemic, right? I don't know if you knew this, but like there's people that are checking themselves into addiction facilities for, for like media usage, right? I mean, we live in an addiction and distraction society where you stand in line at the airport and everybody looks like this. And our postures are just all, all like we're starting to lean forward a little bit, aren't we? And we have this bombardment of our souls. And Jesus, his words are having kind of ringing in my mind. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? 
And, and, and there might be this just kind of distraction into oblivion that you and I are living in. I, I saw a post from a friend on, on Friday, and, and it was interesting. They, they, they apologized on, on social media for their kind of apathetic lack of response toward everything that was kind of transpiring over Thursday and Friday. And they said, honestly, like, it's just so much to take in. I, I just feel numb. And, and this year has been just constantly, I mean, with everything happening around the world, even the events that are happening solely in, in Boulder, and then you remove that, get it off the global, and just go to your life, your family, your relationships, your school, your job, whatever. You and I are constantly processing so much that it begins to, to move us into kind of this oblivion of the soul, where, where I think we're losing the ability to be present with ourselves, pres- present with others, present with God. And the question is, man, is there a way back to where we can pick up the right things, where we, we put our heads down at night and we're like, man, this day, it counted. Like, it, it, it mattered. It made a difference. And not with just like frenetic activity, right? Not that we just did a ton of things and we feel good about it, pat ourselves on the back, but we did the right things. That I, I can't be everything to everyone, but I can be something to someone. And so am I picking up the right things? Am I using my time, energy, and resources in a way that's both life-giving to others and life-giving to me? And as you and I press into the series, the, the, the invitation is this. Maybe, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe what Jesus modeled, what Jesus taught, was both timely and timeless. That, that what, what we see in the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago, what we see practiced throughout two millennia of church history, might not only be timely, but also timeless in practice that maybe there is healing and wholeness and fullness of life in life with Jesus, that, that when we face events like Thursday and Friday, that the church can carry a disposition, not of, not of false optimism and, and, and acting like everything's okay, but, but a centeredness, a wholeness, a joy that, that can be despite our circumstances. So I, I just want to invite you into this space um, and just to kind of wrestle with, with me, okay? So, so Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. If you want to turn there, Matthew 4, verse 1. And before I read this verse, this is um, some events are transpiring. This is, this is kind of Jesus' kind of initial step onto the pages of history, kind of public ministry, okay? So right before this in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And so Jesus shows up. His cousin John baptizes him, even though he doesn't want to. He comes up out of the water. Big deal. You know, clouds part in heaven. And, and, and God, a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, which is a really big deal. Like Jesus is baptized. I need you to hear it. Before Jesus does anything, we see God's favor. And in the same way, the invitation from Jesus in a relationship with God is not what we do for him, but it's being with him. And out of the being with him, out of the identity, we then are able to serve in a healthy place. And so before Jesus does anything, God says, this is my son and I'm well pleased. So you and I, as we go into 22, we are human beings, not human doings, right? That, that, that as we prioritize and create space in our minds, that we don't fa- find value in what goals we crushed or how many times we went to the gym or how many books that we read or, or whether we got a promotion or not at, at our job. Those are great, but they don't, they don't define us. They don't have to. And so Jesus, right after he's baptized, this is what happens in Matthew 4. Check it. This is crazy. Then Jesus, sorry, go back, was led, like on purpose, not an accident. Jesus was led up by the Spirit of God into the wilderness for a little bit of (laughs) R&R. What happens? On purpose, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness 
to be tempted by the devil. What? I read that and I'm like, this seems like a backwards set of like words and sentences. I'm not sure what's going on here, but I'm not sure why you would do that on purpose. I want to stay away from temptation and the devil as much as I can. And so Jesus, he goes into, right after his baptism, before he goes, he goes into this place, the wilderness. This is in Greek, the eremos. And this word, this, this place that he goes into can be translated wilderness or desert or deserted place or desolate place or, or solitary place or quiet place or, or the lonely place. So Jesus is driven. He is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And look what happens right after this. Then Matthew tells us that after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Yeah. Like, for real. Like, like, I don't know about you guys. I fasted for like 24 hours and 48 hours, and that about killed me. So good news. In a couple of weeks, when we do our night of worship and prayer, this is like a little commercial, uh, we're doing uh, um, a night of worship and prayer that kicks off 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's going to be amazing. It's not 21 days of not eating, so don't worry. It'll be a fasting of your choice. Possibly media might be the best choice for you and I. But uh, Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. And then in, at, at the peak of Jesus' kind of you know, extensive 40-day, 40 40-night 40 fasting, he's tired, he's hungry, and the devil shows up to tempt him. And, and when I read this, I don't know how you guys read the story, but I'm like, of course the devil does, right? What a punk. That's what he does. He shows up at our, at our weakest points and our lowest moments, and he comes in. And there's some truth to that, that you and I are not at our best when we're exhausted and we're tired. But, but here's how John Mark Comer talks about this this lonely place, this wilderness, this, this Aramos that Jesus would constantly withdraw into. He's here in the first place, and John Mark Homer says that the Aramos isn't the place of weakness, but rather the place of strength. That at the end of 40 days of fasting and praying, Jesus is at the peak of his spiritual alignment and attunement and power to take on the devil toe-to-toe. And we see it. You can go read it for yourself. That Jesus consistently responds to that temptation with the right values and the right priorities. So let me just leave with some transparency this morning to, to help you kind of feel the weight of what we're talking about, this Aramos, okay, this, this quiet place, this getting alone and withdrawing with God. As Thursday was transpiring, um, we, we kind of watched. I don't know where you were and what, what it looked like, but I saw, you know, a little bit of smoke, and it was just a grass fire somewhere. It seemed like a not that big of a deal, and all of a sudden it went from a little bit of smoke to unimaginable damage and, 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 and question marks and scare and, and fear and horror and what ifs. And from my balcony, you can't tell if it's, you know, at, at, at J Road or Table Mesa or, or 30. You can't tell. And you're watching and watching and you're watching the lights flicker in the distance and, and everybody's just kind of holding their breath, waiting to see what, what's going to happen. And the wind won't stop and it won't relent and the snow's late. And so you're kind of watching and feeling all of that, not really sure. Are we going to be evacuated? Should we be ready for this? And then Thursday night, late Thursday night, I got a call from Serve 6-8, and they said, hey, we're a national relief organization. Um, would you guys like to be a kind of a center hub? Can, can we work with you guys to, to be a part of just relief as these things hit? And naturally, the answer is, yeah. And then it kind of sits with me. I'm, you know, we have a two-year-old church plant, and I'm 32 years old, and I've never done disaster relief, and I, I don't know. I'm totally unequipped. I have no idea what we're doing. Sure. We're, we're available, probably, <laughs> I guess. So I go to bed Thursday night and wake up Friday morning to my phone blowing up and emails everywhere. And right, I mean, these guys, send the relief efforts, they're, they're hitting the ground running, which is great. 
but I find myself immediately overwhelmed and out of my own capacity. I'm like, holy moly, this is a lot. And here's what I wrote in my journal, kind of wake up early on Friday morning, and I wrote this in my journal, wrestling with the events that had transpired, the news that was coming in, the responsibilities that were weighing on us, how we're going to empower our church, because everybody's asking, how can we help, how can we help? And here's what I wrote. I said, I find my heart and soul moved and unmovable. Compassion and apathy are both standing at the door. I'm simultaneously concerned and distracted. I, I feel a hint of selfishness and a calling to serve. I'm overwhelmed at the magnitude of the events in front of us, and, and I'm concerned about even the public perception of, of how we are going to show up. I'm feeling the need to be strong for others, but I am totally incompetent in a situation like this. So, so I'm, I'm just brain dumping in my journal, kind of pulled away to, to my Ramos, right, my quiet time with God, and I got nothing but bad, bad stuff going on. <laughs> and, and then just, I just so happened to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that morning, which is when it talks about, man, you can have a lot of things in your life, but if you don't have love, you got nothing. Have you ever looked at your life, especially if you're a Jesus follower, that you, you look at your life and what you see in you and what you see in Jesus are like totally opposite? Like I, I found myself utterly lacking on Friday morning. I found myself, I told Danielle, I'm like, I, my wife, I was like, I, I'm struggling. Like there's, there's like a crookedness inside of me of, of knowing how to respond here. I was looking at Jesus and, and what, what should be in my heart with the reality of what I found myself in and, and, and a lack of, of ability to reconcile. And so what I did is I sat in it and I read 1 Corinthians 13 over and over again. And at first it was this just heaviness of I am none of those things right now. And then I asked for help as I read it. Holy Spirit, make your heart my heart. Give me your compassion and love. Fill me with something that I don't have in and of myself. And so in that space, as I'm reading scripture and as I'm praying and as I'm journaling, I surrender to the text. I surrender to God's heart that this is what love looks like. And then verse 14, I believe, is what wrecked me. At the end of his kind of, this is what love looks like. He says, love always protects. And I thought about all the people that were defenseless. Love always trusts. I thought about all the fear. Love always hopes. And I thought about all the despair. And love always perseveres. It keeps showing up. And I thought about my desire to quit. And in that moment, I surrendered over to that. And I said, God, give me that heart. And in that space on Friday, sitting in the quiet, by myself, and God, I came out of the Aramos and, and myself, my family, our, our, our staff team here at City Church, we picked up the right things afterward. Our heads, our hearts, and our hands, they, they showed up, and we put our, our efforts toward equipping and empowering our church and responding well, and our team hustled, and there was joy, and there was peace, and all of the right things got done on Friday. And the whole point of me telling you this, it was, it was all in spite of me. That inside of me was everything opposite of what we put our hands and hearts to. But because of, of withdrawing to that quiet place, Jesus met me in that space, he filled me with this power. He changed my heart and mind, and he, he allowed me to come back and pick up the right things. Does this make sense to you guys? This is the power of that space with God. Jesus called it abiding. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, and your life will bear much fruit. I want you to imagine, right, the, 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 this tree, 
And Jesus says, I'm the base, I'm the roots, I'm the source, you're the branches. You're attached to me, you stay attached to me, and everything I'm gonna do in and through you, I will do out of that relationship. What's the job of a branch? To work really, really hard? To grit its teeth and try to produce fruit? You ever seen a branch out there hanging on a tree just working really hard? Right, what does a branch do? A branch just hangs on. And the rest of the tree does the work. That's the invitation from Jesus for you and I today. Now, to be totally transparent, Saturday was a new day in a different battle that I had to put everything down again and get along. You can talk to Danielle. Saturday was hard. Said I could pick up the right things. So this is a daily renewal of time with God. So let me show you a few things in the life of Jesus as to close out our time, okay? Uh, Daniel's gonna come, and as he comes, I'm just gonna let us sit in these passages, okay? Mark chapter one, check this out. This is kind of a post-marathon day for Jesus. Jesus has been doing like crazy amounts of ministry all day. I mean, amazing things, healing people, feeding up late, started early. And so at the end of that day, he puts his head down, and check this out, right after a a full day. So he's in the wilderness, comes back, he does one day of full-time crushing at Jesus' ministry. And then verse 35, it says, rising early. This is the, the very next day. He rises very early in the morning while it was still dark, and he departs, and he goes out to a what? the Aramos, the desolate place. And there he prayed, and check this out, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And then check this, I don't know how you feel under the pressures of people's expectations, but Jesus gets into the quiet place. He's becoming popular. People want his attention. The disciples show up and say, hey, everyone's looking for you. There's an agenda. We got stuff to do. And Jesus says, yeah, let's, let's go to the next town. <laughs> like totally just ignores the needs in front of him that I might preach there also. Check it out. For this is why I came out. Jesus came out of the Aramos the very next day with purpose, understanding why he was there. So what did he do? He put everything down and he picked up the right things. And the right things that Jesus picked up this day would have been in disagreement with people's perceptions and expectations. Here's what's amazing. After 40 days in the Aramos, Jesus comes back for one day. And then the very next thing he does is go back into the Aramos. You guys see the pattern in Jesus? I mean, if it was this important for Jesus to reset every day, time alone with God, how much more for our souls? Check this out in Mark chapter 6. Not only was it a priority in Jesus' life, but it was a priority for his followers, for him, for his followers. The apostles returned to Jesus and they told him all that they had done and taught. You ever felt that way? You're feeling good about your day? Like, look at me. I'm crushing it. I'm doing some good. I'm feeling good about everything I've done. And not that Jesus isn't excited about that necessarily, but he doesn't seem impressed by the activity that they've done. But rather, he says, come away by yourselves to the Eremos, to the desolate place, and rest. That in that space, there's rest for our souls. Because many were coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And if you know this story, the crowds chase them. They find them. What they need is rest, and they don't get it. They end up serving all day anyway because people follow them to the desolate place. And so look what Jesus says next in verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. If you're an introvert, you know exactly what's happening here, right? He made them leave. 
please go away. If you're an extrovert like me, you're like, why? Why can't we just be together all the time? Let's party all the time. But Jesus says, hey, you need to leave. He sends them away so they can get some alone time. He dismisses the crowds. And what does Jesus do after leaving them? It's late, very late. He goes up on a mountainside to pray the Eremos again. That Jesus didn't have the chance that day to draw away because of the needs around him. And so he prioritized it even over his sleep. Last thing, let me show you this, Luke 5. I'm just kind of building a case for you, okay, of the priority here. But now, even more, the reports about Jesus were going abroad. He was becoming famous, and people are, he's becoming a really, really big deal. There's great crowds gathering to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to the Eremos to pray. The, The more popular Jesus became, the more he would withdraw. That's so opposite of us, isn't it? Like the busier I get, the first thing to go out the door is what? That space of silence and solitude. So here's the practice. Here's the invitation this week. These are going to be going out. By the way, I'm going to send you practices via email on our social media platforms, things to do. When our city groups launch, we we do these things. These practices are something we do alone and together. And so when our city groups launch, we're going to be living these things out, fleshing them out in community But kind of leading up to that, I've got some practices just for you to take home and do for yourself. But here's the practice of silence and solitude, a working definition we're going to use for the next couple of weeks. Silence and solitude is the intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. This is where we create external silence, which in and of itself is really hard. Did you see that new update the iPhone did where you can like turn on reading and you can turn on focus and you can, you know what I mean? They're like trying to help you, give you some tools to shut that thing up. This little minion in your pocket that won't leave you alone. So there's external silence in this definition. There's internal silence, which in my opinion is harder, right? Because the second that I sit down, my brain starts going about worry and frustration and bills and, you know, the stuff I'm wrestling with in the squirrel. Or, you know what I mean? Like there's these things that my brain is just constantly wrestling with. So internal and external silence and solitude, being alone. Richard Foster said that there's a difference between solitude and loneliness. What we're talking about is solitude. Loneliness is is about inner like emptiness, but solitude is where we find inner fulfillment, where we decompress from stimulation and noise. We face the good, the bad, and the ugly inside of us. We face our hunger and our desire for God, or quite frankly, our lack of hunger and desire at times. This is the spaces where insecurity shows up and addiction is is wrestled with and everything is being exposed, but the good news is it's in a place safe with God, your Father who loves you. This is a space where success and failure, they lose their power. People's opinions go out the door. And friends, when we don't have this, when we don't create this space, We start to feel distant from God. We start to live off of the spirituality of others. We start to feel distant from ourselves and our identity gets compromised and we lose sense of our calling and perspective and we get sucked into the urgent over the important. We're picking up all the wrong things. We're stressed out and busy. If you're like me, we get sucked into escapism rather than engaging in the right things. And so we're we're so exhausted. You've been here. You're so exhausted where you don't even have the energy to put into what's actually life-giving rather than doing the things that are good for you. 
you compromise for cheap substitutes. You turn to food and alcohol and, you know, binging shows and scrolling and, you know, pornography or whatever your drug of choice is. We just kind of go to these quick fixes to fill the void rather than doing what's actually life-giving. We become emotionally unhealthy. We become reactionary. These are all signs and symptoms of life without this practice. So two millennia of church history. And this is the most important spiritual discipline out of all of the important disciplines. We call it get alone here at City Church. It's part of the 5% life, this, this intentional investment of our time. So let me give you two, let me just land the plane with two, two quotes that I think are really life-giving. This is from Henry, Henry Nowen. He said that without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we don't set aside some time to be with God and to listen. That we might have good intentions. This is not meant to be a stab. This is meant to be an invitation. But then one time, Henry Nowen asked Mother Teresa for some spiritual direction. So just imagine you had a chance. Mother Teresa, hey, hook me up with some spiritual direction. Here's what what Mother Teresa said to Henry Nowen, Nowen in this space. She said, Spend one hour each day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. (laughs) Like, come on, that is like so good. That is so simple. Thank you, Mother Teresa. So this week, as we press into this practice, a couple of just quick things to encourage you with, okay? Number one is this. Know your personality, season, and stage of life. There's no pressure here. This this is not obligation. This is invitation. This is relationship. Any relationship that's significant takes time of investment. And so know your personality. Know your season. Know your stage of life. If you're a five on the Enneagram, you love the the, the Aramos, right? You love being alone. You love that space. If you're a three or a two or an eight or you you got that extroverted personality, then you got to be around people. And so you got to know yourself. You got to know your season. You got little kids? This looks very different from someone who's single and in college or working a job and and married but no kids or or, or solo and you got all the time that you need. So no no pressure here, okay? There's no mold that you're fitting into. There's no boxes to check. There's no timesheet that anyone's logging. No one's checking this, right? This is between you and God and then your city group once once those get rolling. Number two is focus on practice, not performance. This is not about impressing God or impressing others or impressing yourself. Think about this as practice, as in I'm going to try. I'm going to put my hand at it. I'm going to cultivate it. That I might put my hand to this and it might be really, really easy. Or I might put my hand to this and I might suck at it. And I might be discouraged. That might be really, really hard. But again, this is, this is something we're doing alone and together. And then lastly, I want you to think both short-term and long-term. So your short term is that daily, we, we talk about it as like 15 minutes of just trying to create space to diffuse and sit. Every day this week, would you try it? To get alone, read one verse, sit in the quiet, external and internal noise. But also we're going to take, take some time, we're going to talk about it over the next couple of weeks, long term. Intentional spaces of four and eight hour retreats, maybe a walk into the mountains. I literally just booked a room at an abbey in like northern Colorado to, to go check it out. I'm going to hang out with the nuns for 24 hours. I have no idea what's going to happen in that space, but I'm just trying to practice what I preach here. So i uh, never been to one of those monasteries, but it should be cool. So the point is short and long-term, just think about that, okay? That creating space. So Danielle and I, for example, right now, we're looking at, hey, how do we give each other, you know, 
six, eight hours, once a month each away to be alone with ourselves and God. So look for the resources that are coming out. Watch the email, watch the social platforms. We're going to give you some practical stuff. Listen, grab a Bible in the lobby, grab a journal. They're free. Download the YouVersion Bible app. Go to our website. We have a spiritual resources page dedicated to this entire space. And then on your connection card, man, join a city group. Go check them out online. They're launching in, in, in two weeks. And then we're going to continue this practice by, by doing this 21 days of fasting and prayer with a little book to serve you well. So listen, we're going to do everything we can to serve you. But here's why we're doing everything that we're doing. We're putting down everything daily so we can pick up the right thing, so we can be the church. So listen, in the middle of the relief efforts, everything going on around us, do what you can. Do what God tells you to do. Make yourself available by all means. But also from the space that we're creating, dream and aspire and create goals and plan and sit with God and say, man, I want to pick up the right things. But listen, friends, you and I cannot give what we do not have. The invitation from Jesus is when we're with him, we're able to give more than we ever had on our own. That with him, we have access to more than we ever had on our own. And so you and I can give abundantly to those around us in the middle of what's going on, to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, emotional, spiritual, practical help, whatever. So I'm gonna pray for us, okay? And then we're gonna sing as we close out our time together. So if you just bow your heads with me and uh, just create a moment of reflection. This is just a moment of privacy for you. And, and uh, so we can just kind of sit with ourselves in God. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to reflect. Is this a new practice to you? Have you ever pressed into it? Is this a practice that, that has been on your radar that you struggle with at times? <laughs> Is this one of those practices that uh, has become habitual and, and not meaningful? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus in the room. And maybe for you, the, the clarity of the invitation today is not to do things for Jesus, but to be with Jesus. That when Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He, he died on a cross to pay the payment for our sins. He rose again, making a declaration that he was who he said he was, that he can do in our lives what he said he would do, that he can make us right with God, forgive us of sin, and give us new life and new power that he will continue to form us and shape us from the inside out. And it's an invitation of trusting in his work on our behalf. And maybe you're in the room and you've never trusted Jesus with your life. It's not religious. It's not a performance. It's something you do in your head and your heart. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose again and I want to follow you. And however you would express that today, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I give you the encouragement. If you pray that prayer with us, you can have confidence that heaven is rejoicing with you you're now adopted into the family of God. You have new life and new power, not only to be with God, but let him work in and through you. And so right now in this space, I just want us to create a posture of surrender. This week, we're going to put everything down to be with God, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, so we can come out of that space picking up the right things. So Jesus, we give you this week. We pray over our city. We ask that you would fill us in the Aramos so that we can go out and be like Jesus and love like Jesus and think like Jesus and feel like Jesus and respond like Jesus. God, would you do that in and through us? Would the world around us know 
your love because of how we love this week. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.